Well, thank you so much, Tabor and Greg. Doug, what a unique morning of worship, right? Thank you. What a blessing. Appreciate you leading some worship this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful day God's given us and opportunity to worship as we are here and over in the hub. And we welcome those that are joining with us online. But let's continue our worship now as we open God's Word. Would you turn to the passage that Paul read for us in Matthew chapter 5 and also Matthew 19. If you turn there, please. We'll pray for a number of folks that are traveling. No, it's fall break in our school system here for most of the students. So we have a lot of people that are traveling. So praying for protection over them as they are out and a great time away, but also safety in their coming back to us. If you're our guest, we've been in a series in the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks, and that'll be continuing on, and we're listening to the Lord Jesus as he is the second Moses, giving, giving this incredible message of the law of the kingdom, and that's what's before us this morning. Now, aren't you grateful that we can know not only the king, but also, also know the Lord has his will. He has his word for us as followers in the kingdom. Isn't it great to know that God gives us that direction? I was thinking about that last Sunday night. I was um, sitting propped up in bed, and I was listening uh, to a sermon that... Uh, nationally known preacher had preached that morning and that's what preachers do on Sundays they listen to other preachers we're we're a weird bunch some of you figured that out but I was listening to uh, this man's message and probably hindsight maybe I shouldn't have it gave me a pain I don't think I could locate interrupted a good night's sleep. The pastor was speaking on the topic of the church's message for people about sexual identity and marriage. And during the sermon, the pastor made a statement with Great emphasis, as I recall, he made it several times. This is what he said. Jesus in his preaching did not draw lines. He always drew circles. Jesus in his preaching did not draw lines. He always drew circles. And propped up there in my bed, I said out loud, what Jesus is he talking about? And my wife said, Sam, you're talking to your phone. Okay. <laughs> we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I would say that Jesus draws some pretty clear lines, wouldn't you? Amen. This past week, I shared that pastor's statements and his message with members of the pastoral staff here, and they had some excellent insights as we discussed the message, tried to 
glean understanding from discussing it together, but I was especially helped by something Jake, our pastor to young adults, said. He said this, Jesus drew circles and lines. Jesus drew circles and lines. That's so helpful, so true, because Jesus, in his grace, draws circles around people considered outsiders and brings them in, right? And aren't you grateful for a Savior like that? That he draws circles around those who really have no business being in his kingdom at all and draws them in. But also Jesus draws lines, lines of truth. He draws circles of grace and he draws lines of truth, God's truth. And Jesus does not bend or erase those lines for anyone. This morning, this is what I want us to hear from Jesus as he does this in addressing the sacredness of message, of marriage. That's the message this morning. The sacredness of marriage. And Jesus draws some lines of truth. And he also draws circles of grace. This morning, our focus is the master on marriage. The master on marriage. Now, I want to begin by saying, I know when we talk about marriage and also marriage as it relates to divorce and what the Lord says about that in his word, I know that that is a very painful subject for many people, many people in this room. It is a subject that is painful for you, many that are watching. There is pain in many people's lives because of marriage that has gone through the heartache of divorce. But you know, I have learned something over the years. That the people who have gone through the pain and heartache of divorce are the people who encourage me the most to speak God's truth about marriage. That's always been encouraging to me as a pastor over these many years. That people who have known the pain of divorce don't want anyone to go through that kind of pain. And so today, from the master on marriage, I want us to hear from God's word and recognize from God's word Lines of truth, but I also want us to know circles of grace. So let's begin with the master here as he shares some lines of truth about marriage. And he is addressing here a tragic situation. That's the first thing I want you to see. There's a tragic situation. Jesus addresses it in verse 31. Chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now notice Jesus said, it has been said. 
This underscores why the situation regarding divorce was so tragic in Jesus' day because of who was making this statement. This statement is being made by the religious leaders. It's being made by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are expressing a devaluation of the covenant of marriage. They were teaching in Jesus' day and had for generations that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. As a matter of fact, they taught that all a man had to do was take out a piece of paper, write on that piece of paper, I divorce you, hand it to his wife, and she had to leave. They were divorced. It's just paperwork. He had to show no cause for any reason. It was taught generally he could do this. If she displeased him in any way, just write the note, give it to her. We're not married anymore. The religious leaders were teaching a devaluation of marriage, but they were doing so at a total disregard of God's word. They were actually basing this teaching on what God had said in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We will not open that passage up, but in Deuteronomy chapter 24, as God spoke through Moses, he speaks about a situation where a woman who is turned out by her husband, goes to be with another man, and then that man turns her out. God says she cannot come back to her first husband in those situations. So the Lord said he would give a a bill of divorcement. The Lord in this law of Israel was not promoting divorce. He wasn't promoting what people were actually doing. What was the Lord doing in Deuteronomy chapter 24 when he gave permission for a bill of divorcement? He was protecting women. That's the whole reason for this. He's protecting women because in that day, women would have been reduced to begging or exposed to abuse without a bill of divorcement, allowing her to remarry. This is the whole issue. That the Lord gave this permission for divorce because of the hardness of sin in people's hearts, not to promote divorce, but to protect a woman which in that day and age would have no rights or protection if she was just turned out. So God was prohibiting the first husband from turning out his wife, then taking her back from another husband, and just a cycle of adultery being committed. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 4 was all about. 
But the religious leaders in Jesus' day had twisted God's word so that they said a man had permission to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever sufficient to him. And so they had taken this teaching of God in Deuteronomy and twisted it into a legal right for a man to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. And by their attitudes and actions, the religious leaders were expressing, in reality, Jesus said, the deception of their own hearts. Not only were they, as he had said back in verse 28, not only were they guilty of committing adultery in their hearts, but now they were guilty of causing adultery by teaching that men could divorce their wives without regard for the sacredness of marriage. This is what Jesus is addressing. This is the atmosphere in which he is ministering. And it's into this sinful and sordid, tragic situation of religious support for the destruction of marriage, the causing of adultery, that the Lord Jesus intervenes. And he intervenes with a divine proclamation about the sacredness of divorce. And here's the divine proclamation. Look in verse 32. It has been said, it's also been said, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus as Lord, as Lord is making the only permissible grounds for divorce very clear. He is saying only in the cause of sexual immorality. And the term here is a general term. But in this context it deals with marital infidelity. Jesus is saying except for marital infidelity. Which goes to the very heart of the marriage. There's no grounds for divorce. And Jesus says any remarrying apart from these grounds will be adultery, causing adultery, a cycle of adultery. Now, I would say that's Jesus drawing some lines, wouldn't you? But now, look at how these religious leaders took Jesus' teaching. You know what they thought? Rather than say, I need to, wow, I need to hear what this rabbi is saying. Here's how they took it. Ah, he's dealing with a very touchy subject. He said some radical things here. There might be an opportunity 
to bring unpopularity upon him. And maybe we can use this rabbi's teaching on marriage to make him unpopular. Matthew 19, Paul read that passage. Turn there now and we'll look at it briefly. This is exactly what happened. They, they came to him. It says in verse 3 of chapter 19, and tested him asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, they, they've already heard what he has to say. But they think there's an opportunity because of the culture of the day, what the culture taught about marriage, what the religious leaders, most of them, taught about marriage. We can make this man unpopular. And if he's unpopular, he will not be powerful. And he won't be a threat to our power because that's what it's all about, threat to power in their minds. And so Jesus answers them. He reaffirms the sacredness of marriage. And he even enlarges upon it. We don't have time here to open up everything Jesus says through verses 3 through 12. But notice what Jesus affirms. Listen carefully, church. Listen very carefully to what Jesus affirms in these statements. He affirms that there were two people, Adam and Eve, that God created. He says God created them male and female. This was not self-sexual identifying. This is sovereignly distinguished identification. God said he made human beings male and female. Jesus affirms that. He affirms that it is male and female that are to enter into marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. Jesus affirmed what marriage is. And he says, it is a covenant. They become one flesh. It's not just a document. It's a covenant. Affirmed by God. So they are no longer one flesh. No longer two, but one flesh. And it is permanent. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Now my friends, that is Jesus of Nazareth speaking. There is no question what our Savior taught on these subjects. And to quote Jesus as a source to say anything contrary than this 
about human sexuality and marriage is to, in effect, blaspheme the Lord. And I use those words very carefully. It is a very serious thing to put words in the mouth of Jesus he did not say. And it's a very serious thing to take words out of the mouth of Jesus that he did share. The disciples understood what he was saying. As a matter of fact, here's what they said, verse 10. Well, the disciples said to him, if such is the case with a man, it's better not to marry. And of course, they're talking in exaggeration. They're going over the top and saying, what? You're changing it sounds like you're changing everything. You're, you've come up with such a new interpretation. Jesus isn't coming up with anything new. He's just going back to the original. Amen. He's not turning things upside down. He's turning things right side up. In what he says. But Jesus doesn't back away. He says... You're right. Be very serious about considering whether you should enter into marriage if you don't enter in with this kind of commitment. It's an absolute commitment. Friends, I want you to know something. God's view on marriage and the sacredness of marriage has never changed. Do we understand that God, having said something, He says it forever? God doesn't say something and say, you know, I've changed my mind on that. Let me take that back. I, I need a do-over on that. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And here is what... God said to the people of Jerusalem about 350 years or so before Christ. Here's what he said. Chapter 2, verse 12. Or chapter 2, rather, Malachi, verse 13. If you want to know Malachi, just take a couple of left turns from where you are right now. You'll be in Malachi. This is the second thing you do. This is Jehovah God speaking to his people in, in Jerusalem. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer is regarding your offering or accepting it with favor from your hand. Stop right there. He's saying some of you are going through all the emotional expressions of worship, weeping and groaning over the altar but the Lord's not accepting it. And you say, why does he not? Here's the Lord's answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. To whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Notice that. She's your companion. And your wife by covenant, and you've been faithless to her. 
You come before my altar weeping and going through the motions of religion when you have been faithless to the covenant you made with your companion, your wife. Verse 15. Malachi, God, speaking through Malachi, goes to where Jesus went. Did he not make them one? With a portion of the Spirit in their union? He's talking about Adam and Eve. And what was this one God seeking? Why did God bring this union? He's seeking godly offspring. He wants a sacred union so there will be children blessed and godly offspring to go into the earth. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless in the walk in the, in, to the wife of your youth. Guard your spirit. Where did Jesus say the lust begins? In the heart. Guard your spirit and be faithful to your wife. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The Lord is making the strongest statements about marriage. He's raising marriage to the highest level. It is God who created marriage. It is God who defines marriage. It is God who affirms the covenant between two people in marriage. And he says that covenant is to be sacred. Do not be faithless to it. So what it sounds like to me is Jesus and his daddy said the same thing about marriage, the sacredness of it. So now those are lines. Those are lines of truth. But now may I share... A personal invitation. Every person in this room, listen carefully. I hear it in this room right now. And I feel it. And if you think it's difficult to hear this, you ought to come up here and say it. Why do we practice here at West Park so much preaching through the books of the Bible, preaching through lengthy passages of the Bible? Why do we do that? So that we as pastors will be faithful to this word. Because there's things you wouldn't choose to talk about if the choice was left to you as a pastor. I hear the quiet. And I hear also the sense of the heaviness of this. But I want us now just to also think through some wonderful truth. 
Everyone in this room has been in some way impacted by divorce, no doubt. Has been or will be. But thank God, thank God, there is something greater than the pain of divorce. And there is something deeper than the stain of divorce. And that is the wonderful, amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth that where sin has abounded and flourished, God's grace superabounds all the more. I want to invite us all this morning. I want to invite us all this morning into some circles of God's grace. Number one, for those of you who were divorced before becoming a follower of Jesus, you can exalt the grace of God. All your sins have been pardoned. All forgiven. He remembers them no more. And so, my friend, I want you, if that is your case, turn the reminders of divorce pain into divine praise. That God, in His grace, has freely pardoned you of all your sins through Jesus Christ. Secondly, for followers of Jesus who have divorced, Without God's permission, that is, in accordance with His Word, you can experience the grace of God. I would ask you, as a follower of Jesus, have you ever sincerely repented and asked the Father for forgiveness? Will you today? Will you now? If you know that your heart is grieved by a sense of a violation in this area of marriage, will you take it to the Lord and confess it to Him? What's the circle of grace? Here it is. Listen, church. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Amen. This is, listen, this is the message for all of us who've gone astray in any matter. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Praise God. Amen. But my friend, if you have never dealt with this sin of marital issues regarding divorce, don't try to just forget about it. Take it to Jesus. He will forgive. He will fully restore and give you peace. Thirdly, for followers of Jesus who are in troubled marriages, you can express the grace of God. Can I say something to you? If you're in a troubled marriage or you're ever in a troubled marriage, 
Don't go to the Bible looking for loopholes. Go to the Bible and the God of the Bible seeking His grace. Amen. Don't do a Bible study saying, which one of the 14 interpretations of marriage and divorce do I select? No, no, no. Read the words of Jesus. Believe in the grace of Jesus. And go to God for grace in your troubled marriage. The grace of God to forgive. And having forgiven, to give. Determine that you will accept for your marriage God's promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is enough for your weakness. Express God's grace to your spouse. Trust God. Believe God. Honor God. Experience God. I will say this quickly. This that I'm sharing with you this morning is absolutely not to be understood for a moment that a woman has to endure abuse from her husband or see her children suffer abuse. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. You don't have to live in that abusive situation. You don't have to allow your children. But do this. Seek God's help and seek godly wisdom and invite others into this in Jesus name pastors those who are spiritual leaders in your life take these situations and ask for wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you walk through this you are not alone And I want to say this to make sure that we are understood. Nowhere does the Bible teach that a woman is to have to live in an abusive, dangerous situation for her or her children. Lastly, for all of us in our relationship with those who have been divorced, you can extend the grace of God. My friends, listen to me. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorced people are not expected to walk around with a scarlet D on their blouse or shirt. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And unless you are without sin, I would be very slow to pick up a rock. Just saying. But speak the truth in love. Speak the truth to those of your relations who may be considering a wrong decision about divorce. Speak the truth in love. 
We cannot sit idly by and let people we love do that which is contrary to the Word of God. We are our brother's keeper. We're to help and speak the truth. Be there. Don't just speak truth, but be true. Walk with the person. And speak in love to those who are needing healing from the pain of divorce. Speak in love to those who are needing healing. Be the good Samaritan who pours the oil of healing on their wounds. Make a personal sacrifice to help people recover. And most of all, tell them of the one from whose love no one is ever divorced. <laughs> Amen. My friend, the love of King Jesus is changeless, everlasting, inseparable. That's the love that will not let us go ever. I thought of the words of an old hymn yesterday while I was going over these notes. About the greatest of all friends and companions, the Lord Jesus. I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me. Ere I knew him. He drew me. With the cords of love. And thus. He bound me to him. And round my heart. Still closely twined. A tie. No power can sever. For I am his, and he is mine, forever and forever. That's the friend. That's our beloved. And a love that will not let us go. And a love that bids us to bring all of our sorrows, all of our struggles, all of our failures, all of our challenges to him and his amazing grace. Amen. Jesus is enough. He is a friend. Above all friends. Now Lord God. I pray that you'll take this word and use it in our hearts. Lord God. We pray that you will give us the grace. To yes. Embrace the lines of truth. But also to praise you, thank you for the circles of grace. That drew us and draws others. Lord, help us to be like you, full of grace and truth. Help us to speak the truth in love. And Lord, 
in our marriages, we need your truth and we need your grace. And we thank you, Lord, for what you are able to do. A God who is a God of healing, a God of new beginnings, who is a God of reconciliation, who is a God of forgiveness, who is a God who sets the captive free, our Heavenly Father. And thank you, Lord. That's who you are. And now, Lord, help us as your people to be true in a world that's full of lies, even lies about our Jesus, even lies about the Bible. May we be true by your grace. May we cling to Jesus and walk closely with him so that we can be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And ask now that this will be a time of healing, be a time of renewal. And Lord, will be a time that causes us to say, God in heaven, make us instruments of your peace. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.